Jesus. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can we just pray together? Uh, and without the Holy Spirit to come and bring life to this, these are just words. And I don't want to just speak words to you this morning. I'm really trusting that the Holy Spirit will come and bring these, make these life to you this morning. So Jesus, I thank you that you are here by your Spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. And we thank you, Lord, that the Word teaches us and says that you lead us into all truth. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And Holy Spirit, you lead us into all truth about Father, about Jesus. And so we look to you this morning to bring life to these words and to bring where there needs to be healing, that you bring healing. Where there needs to be repentance, that you bring repentance. Where there needs to be a change of alignment, that you would do that. For your name's sake and for your kingdom's sake. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, for the sake of those that are visiting this morning, I'm going to recap a little of what I said last week. But I felt in terms of my own life, God really challenged me in the last six months out of this portion of Scripture. And I'd like to share some thoughts with you over the next month. So we're going to do this verse for verse. So those of you that are regular members of this church, we're going to be looking at uh, this portion for many months to come. But like I said last week, uh, as we've been away on leave, we really felt the hand of God upon our lives, challenging us, encouraging us, uh, realigning some things in our hearts. And it's out of that, that kind of place that I want to share these things with you this morning. And as I said last week, as I've read on this and, and meditated on this portion, I've come to realize that this little phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, was not put there by accident, because Jesus didn't know what to start with. It was put there in the first, the very first thing that he says in this portion, because it's the key to everything else that follows it. And I want to ask that as we share these next months together, as we share out of this portion, that you, together with me, ask God to birth something in your own life, a growing hunger for the fullness of what that means in your life. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? It's, I believe as we meditate and we thirst and we chew over and we ask the Holy Spirit to bring life that He does. And so let's commit ourselves to a process of going forward and doing that. Um, together. 
And I said last week, there's no one in the kingdom of God who's not poor in spirit. It should be one of the fundamental characteristics of any Christian. This is not for super believers. This is for us as believers, every single one of us who call themselves after the name of Christ. And what Jesus is talking about here is an emptying of ourselves. We can't be full of God when we're full of a whole lot of other things. We can't be full of His kingdom until we are empty of a whole lot of other things first. And there, for me, if you want to put this in theological terms, this is a perfect statement of the doctrine of justification by faith, is this little phrase, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the foundation of everything that we hold to as Christians. And I said last week, we live this thing called life, and we walk every year, there are different challenges. Every time we come back from holiday, we face different challenges, full of challenges. And sometimes the challenges stare us in the face like mountains, and we try to climb them. And I'm more and more convinced that in ourselves, with our own strength, with our own sense of what we, the plan we can make, we, are, we, we cannot overcome those things except for the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, transforming us, enabling us, helping us to overcome. I'm convinced. So before we consider this thing in detail this morning, and we look at our husbanding and our leadership and our our fathering and our friendship together, it all has to start from the place of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And during the break, two people came to me um, just to ask for prayer for some some of their friends. What is Peter? It's Peter. Where's... Yeah, it's Peter. Uh, A friend uh, was... uh, going to America on business, had a heart attack and now is stranded in America and he's a young man of our age. We want to pray for Peter. And who else came to me? It was Jenny, uh, John. John, what is it, the names of your... Robin and Jeffrey. They've both been diagnosed with cancer. They're both uh, in his family, members of his family. I wonder before we start, can we just pray for them? Uh, we're just going to, for those three, John, uh, John and Jeffrey. Robin and Jeffrey and Peter. Father, we thank you that you are the one who heals. I thank you, Lord, for surgery. I thank you for medicine. I thank you for all those things. But ultimately, we look to you as our healer. And for these people who are friends of those that we love in this church, I pray this morning that you'd come and you'd move. I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit on Peter in America right now. For Robin and Jeffrey, Lord, I pray the challenge that they are facing. I thank you that there's healing in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you. We have seen it time and time and time again that you touch people by the power of your Holy Spirit and they are transformed instantly. Sometimes instantly we see healing and sometimes over a period of time. But we know, Lord, that you are the one that heals. And so our confidence is in you this morning. It's not in anything of ourselves. Our confidence is in you. And we bring these people before you and we trust simply this morning that you touch them by the power of your Holy Spirit, that they will be healed. And we look forward to the testimony of hearing that over the next months and days ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, If you go to Luke chapter 6, verse 20, you'll see there's a parallel portion which simply says, Blessed are you who are poor. And that's been an interesting thing because over the, the years, different theologies have developed in the church where somehow poverty has been exalted because Jesus seems to have said in this portion, Blessed are the poor. And so we've had monks that have removed themselves from all of responsibility and all community in order to exemplify poverty. And it's, the church has taught, some portions of the church have exalted poverty and said poverty is a worthy thing. 
Well, I want to say to you this morning that nowhere in the Scripture does that say that, and that is a misunderstanding of this portion. It's a complete misrepresentation of the gospel. There's nothing noble about poverty. I come from Africa. I tell you now, there's nothing noble about poverty. Nothing. A poor man is no more righteous than a rich man. A poor man is no longer is, is no closer to the kingdom of heaven than a rich man. So what is Jesus saying in that portion out of Luke? Being poor doesn't make you spiritual. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that poverty is a good thing. Nowhere. And we look at the context of this passage in Luke 6. I think Jesus was saying this. He was saying, blessed are those who are poor in this sense, that they are not controlled by worldly spirit. They're not controlled by lust and a longing for wealth. That's what he was saying. Blessed are you when you're poor like that, when you're not controlled by the system of this world, when you're not controlled by a lust for always having more. If you're poor like that, you are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is yours. I'm convinced from this portion of Scripture and from the one that we've read in Matthew, what Jesus is concerned about is a poverty of our spirits. Whether you are wealthy or not, it doesn't matter. He's concerned with your spirit. Ultimately, it's the attitude, as I said last week, it's the attitude toward ourselves that counts. There's a clear distinction between those that are of the kingdom and those who are of the world. And this verse encapsulates everything that the world dislikes and despises. And we looked last week about uh, emphasis on self-reliance, self-confidence, self-expression. The world says you need to be full of those things. If you want to get ahead in the business world, just be confident. Be full of yourself and your own intellect and your own education and you'll get ahead. And yet Jesus commends exactly the opposite. It says, blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we bring this kind of self-attitude into the kingdom and we try and make it work, and it doesn't. It's diametrically opposed to the kingdom of God. My friends, when we face, come face to face with God, and we're going to look at some examples of men that came face to face with God, we cannot feel anything else in His presence other than our, the utter poverty of our own spirit. And I, I want to... I, I trust that as we worship together and we simply sing our songs of adoration and devotion, that we will be more consumed like Isaiah with the uncleanness of our own lips and our own heart and be more consumed with the holiness and the awesomeness of our God. That He'll begin to do something on the inside of us that makes us uncomfortable in a good way. Uncomfortable to see who we really are in the light of His glory and grace. And we sing that, uh, that, that song that we used to sing all the time at Sunday school. Turn your eyes on Jesus. And all those things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. Let that be our prayer this year. That Jesus would increasingly grow larger and larger and larger. We'd be consumed by His beauty, His love, His grace, and the things in our lives that are opposed to that, that they would shrivel and shrink like a cancer that has been blitzed by chemotherapy. That He might go large on the inside of us. You know, it fascinates me that even... This thing of uh, feeling our lack in the presence of God, it's not, it's not a popular thought in the church. In the church, people like personality and charisma and anointing. They like those things. They love those things. Who's the man of power for the hour? We love the anointed one. And then the anointed one falls. 
And we have to find another anointed one to put all our confidence in. Now, my friends, put our confidence in the living Christ. Him. I'm amazed that we, we confuse some very important things. We confuse self-confidence, self-assurance, and self-expression on the one hand with true personality on the other. And I want to look at the difference. Because the Bible regards one of the greatest virtues for any Christian is not personality or charisma or anointing. The Bible elevates humility far above all those things. We used to look at people and say, yeah, they've got great leadership qualities, but perhaps they lack personality, they lack charisma. Or perhaps we're looking through the, long, the wrong lens altogether. What does Paul say? Paul says, I do not preach myself. We do not preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul, over and over and over, he says, and he goes to the church in Corinth and he says, I went in much weakness and fear and trembling. So much for the impression of success to the Corinthian church from Paul's point of view. His appearance, they said, some wrote of him and said his appearance, his appearance is weak and his speech is contemptible. Go and read it for yourself. That's how they saw Paul. So much for the talented, charismatic personality, the great after-dinner speaker, Paul. The Corinthian church didn't see him like that. See him like that. And how much of the church today isn't permeated with these thoughts that we really need charisma and anointing and personality. And yet the scripture elevates completely different things. Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And so I said last week, unless we all come to a place of seeing our own weakness, outside of God's power in our lives, our own bankruptcy outside of His grace in our lives, and our own ineffectiveness outside of His daily guidance by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are never going to see the kingdom come. In us, or through us, into the nation. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit then? I want to suggest a couple of things to you this morning. And uh, I'm not trying to be introverted. I'm not trying to be intense. But sometimes I do get a little bit intense, all right? So forgive me if I do this morning. But the first thing is this, to be poor in spirit. I want to look at some negatives, what it's not. To be poor in spirit is not to be nervous. It's not to be retiring. It's not to be weak. And it's not to be lacking in courage. The Bible does not mean those things when it says we are to be poor in spirit. You see, there are some people that are always happy to be in the background because they've been born like that. They, it's part of their personality just to be uh, retiring. And uh, we've already established in the last couple of weeks though that these teachings of Jesus here have nothing to do with our natural man. Nothing to do with who we are naturally as men. These are spiritual qualities. So to be in poor in spirit means it's got nothing to do with how we've been born. And perhaps some personalities are more retiring than others. Some personalities are more polite than others. Less boisterous. That's not being poor in spirit when you are uh, exhibiting those characteristics. Secondly, being poor in spirit has nothing to do with false, false humility. False humility. There are those that make it perfectly obvious and clear that they think themselves worms in the kingdom. Oh, I can't do anything. I'm happy just to be the one uh, sitting in the background, not having any impact, no special treatment for me. And they prove by their actions how truly humble they are. And in the act of doing that, they deny the very thing that they're trying to prove. Oh, I'm so humble. 
Actually, you're not. You're full of pride. You're, pr you're proud of your humility. Don't give me that. Uh, so it doesn't mean that either. It doesn't mean to be falsely humble. How, how many of you remember um, Uriah Heep and David Copperfield? He's a perfect example of a falsely humble man. Perfect example. Oh, very humble, very humble. And behind the scenes, he's not humble at all. He's wheeling and dealing, and he's making a plan for himself and his own life. False humility. Oh, don't choose me. So what does it mean then? Thirdly, I, don't, I believe that being poor in spirit doesn't mean that you suppress your personality. All of us are different. To be poor in spirit doesn't mean we all have to become the same. Doesn't mean we all walk around floating like some sort of super spiritual person. Like an Eastern guru with a robe on to somehow prove that we have suppressed our personality and we are one with God, some kind of monk in a habit. That's not what it means at all. It's got nothing to do with poorness of spirit. We don't have to try and be anybody else to show that we are poor in spirit. I, I, I think Mother, Mother Teresa was a, an amazing woman, but we're not, we're not necessarily called to all be like that and to do exactly those things to evidence that we are poor in spirit. All go and be celibate. All go and swear poverty and silence, vows of poverty and silence to prove that we are poor in spirit. It's got nothing to do with that. No, it's something that happens in the realm of our spirit. That's what we're talking about this morning. So, can we look at some examples then? Well, can you go with me to the wonderful book of Isaiah, chapter 6? We're going to look at a couple of examples. And I do want to break bread this morning, and I think, I'm sorry if we've already run out of time, but we are. Isaiah writes this in the scripture. He writes, we're going to look at Isaiah 6, but uh, he writes this. He says, For this is what the high and lofty one says, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with he who is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Isn't that amazing? The Holy One of Israel says he dwells in a place where there's humility and with those that are humble in spirit. And let's have a look at the calling of Isaiah here. In the, it says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with two, uh, six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with, with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You want to talk about poorness of spirit? There it is. When you come into the presence of God and you see who He is, you begin to see exactly who you are. And you can do no other thing but cry out and say, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. There's nothing good about me. Before you say amen too, loud, too loudly, it's also true about you. <laughs> I understand there's nothing good about me. Fine. But that's what God says about all of us in a sense. All our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. So we look at that portion out of Isaiah. You want to go to the New Testament. I love Peter. 
Peter is, uh, personally has been one of uh, the, those people in the Bible that's always inspired me. And Peter, a New Testament kind of person, is a naturally assertive, naturally aggressive, naturally self-confident man. He's the, he's the life and soul of the party, if you like. In that sense, he's truly a modern man, Peter. He is. He's a modern man. And when he meets with the Lord Jesus uh, on the road to Damascus, something profound happens on the inside of him. Uh, no, I'm talking, sorry. I'm talking about Saul. I'm mixing my metaphors here. But uh, when he meets Jesus, he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Isn't that amazing? He sees in that moment who he is. And he says, depart from me, from I'm a sinful man. And yet that at the same time, when, he, reads, uh, when he, sp- he speaks of the Apostle Paul in 2 Peter 3, he pays tribute to Paul and he says, uh, count the patience of our Lord Jesus as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to his wisdom that was given him. And he does this in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. You see, Peter, he never ceased to be bold. He, never, he didn't become a nervous, retiring person. His personality, in, in essence, remained the same, but there was something that happened on the inside of him and he became a man that was poor in spirit. He recognized the absolute bankruptcy of his own life apart from the living Lord Jesus in him. And then we'll get to Paul. You see, Paul also was a very talented person. If you, if you, if, if you read the scripture, he did have great powers of, uh, of speech and an incredible intellect. And he, as a natural man, he was fully aware of those things. But through his letters, if you read, he's always waging war against pride in his life. He talks and says, I've got no confidence in the flesh. We don't have time to read it now. But Philippians chapter 3, he, he lists a whole lot of things. He says, I was a, I'm a Jew of Jews. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I, I've met all these requirements and I put no confidence in those things. None. I consider them all as done for the sake of knowing Christ. And then Jesus is an example. I love Philippians chapter 2. We, uh, we prayed out of it this morning as elders. He comes to us as a man, Jesus. He takes upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh. He's co-equal with God in every way, but he doesn't consider those privileges something to be grasped at as part of the Godhead, and he chooses to live as a man here on earth. And as the result of all of that, he says this in John fourteen ten: I can do nothing of myself. I can do nothing of myself. I can only do what I hear the Father do. Jesus exemplified a poverty of spirit. Even the Son of God did nothing that the Father did not tell Him to do. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. It means a complete absence of pride, self-assurance, self-confidence. It means that we have a consciousness that we are nothing in the presence of God. There's nothing we can produce, nothing we can do of ourselves to bring breakthrough. But it's a complete and utter awareness of our nothingness as we come face to face with God. And I want to put it even more strongly than that so we can simplify it even further in terms of what the Bible teaches. It means as Christians, we do not rely on our birth. You might have had a privileged birth and been brought, in, uh, brought into this world into a wealthy family. Well, the scripture says don't count on that. You might have grown up in an educated, privileged environment. The scripture says don't count on that. You might come from a specific nation and be proud of that fact. The scripture says don't count on that. The scripture says... Don't build on your natural temperament the things that you are good at. Don't build on those things. Don't build on the position in life that you might have given. Perhaps you hold down authority in the business area. God says to you this morning, don't build on that. 
Perhaps you've come into money. Jesus says, don't build on that. Perhaps you were privileged to go to a good uh, university. The scripture says, don't put your confidence in that. Don't build on that. Also, not to rely on our gifts of personality, intelligence, or anything else. Our morality, our good conduct, none of those things. We are not to build on those things. To live free of those things, actually, is to exemplify poverty of spirit. As we look to God in submission and utter dependence on His grace and His mercy in our lives, that we begin to be poor in spirit. So very simply, I want to ask you this question as my friends this morning, as I've been asking myself, are we truly like that? I've been asking myself, am I truly like that? Do I really think and think and feel that way about myself? Or hidden inside of me, are there really some things that I think are actually quite nifty? Ah, it's quite, quite, there's a word that we use, zhuzhi. It's quite zhuzhi, actually. Some zhuzhi things about me. Or do I see from God's perspective into my life? How can we learn to be poor of spirit? I want to suggest some very simple things for you this morning, beginning with these little steps. The answer is that you don't look to yourself in any way. It's got to be the starting point. You don't look to yourself. You look to Him, the author and creator of all things. The answer is that we look to God, that we read the Word. Sorry to be so basic. That we read the Word, that this is a love relationship with God, and we love the discipline of His Word. It's not a have to, it's a want to. I get to know you, Jesus, the more time I spend with you, and I want to spend time on your word because I love you. I want you to teach me. I want you to woo me by your Holy Spirit. I don't have to do these things, but I choose to because I love you. I want to spend time with you. This is essentially his story to us, so we read it. Let's read other books about him. Read his law, what he expects from us, and what we need to be moving into. And as we contemplate those things, we start to understand what poverty of spirit is. I want to suggest to you as we go forward in the months ahead, looking at these portions of Scripture, that the more we look, about, look at the gospel, the Jesus of the Gospels, and the more we understand the Jesus of the Gospels, the more we'll be able to say, together with the disciples, Lord, increase my faith. I'm so weak, but you are so strong. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus, our great apostle, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And as we do that, we will learn increasingly what it means to be those that are poor in spirit. And theirs is the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I'm not here just to uh, entertain people from week to week. I want to see the kingdom come in people's lives. I want to see marriages transformed. We were sp- speaking uh, with some people during the, the um, break about uh, they used to go out onto the streets and saw prostitutes come to Jesus on the streets. That's what I long to see. As we go into the campuses up here, that we see broken people coming into the kingdom, not because of clever words, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us, engaging their spirit, and they'll be born again, and they come into the kingdom. That's what I want to see, more and more and more. And I'm sure you want to see it as well. Well, that doesn't start with people full of cocky self-assurance, thinking they can do everything under the sun. It starts with people on their knees who are saying, God, I'm desperate for you. I can do nothing apart from you. Please help me to learn what it means to only do what the Father says I should do. Amen.